Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? New NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. We all got the whole crew with us once again. Friends, the Adams. And we are in July, boys and girls. I find that very, very hard to believe. But Kip, uh, how is this first week of July treating you as, I mean, the countdown's on. We're going to turn around and we're going to be getting ready for fall camp. Well, I went to retweet the, uh, you know, our podcast and saw that I was already limit reached for the day. So (laughs) I'm still struggling to deal with, uh, you know, not being able to use the social media outlet that we've become accustomed to over the last decade. But other than that, you know, uh, just uh, ready for the this uh, summer heat to turn into, uh, you know, the off season being over for Georgia. I mean, we're here. Like, it's time flows at the exact same pace uh, every single year, and yet every single year we talk about how quickly time goes by. It's it's incredible. Keep getting philosophical. I always love mm-hmm. that at the beginning of a junkyard dog mm-hmm. cast. And Elon may be struggling, but uh, the folks at Dogs Twenty Four Seven, I can promise you, are not. Ben, uh, how is this week treating you as we get ready uh, to roll through what should be another week uh, full of a lot of developments for Georgia? Yeah, no slowing down. Um, July Fourth. I'm sure you'll hear plenty of fireworks puns across the beat over the next couple of. Uh, days as we prepare for a couple of big commitments i'm sure we'll get into all of that here today but you know there's no june was busy july is going to be the same way no doubt about it well june finished off for georgia on a high note with georgia picking up another commitment four-star offensive tackle michael uni commits to the bulldogs 22nd commit for georgia in the 2024 class the third offensive lineman Uh, i'll start with you ben uh, what stands out to you about Michael Looney, what Georgia is getting here, and uh, sort of how this is shaken out when it comes to Georgia's offensive line in this 2024 cycle? Well, I want to start, Kip, the prophecy of Kip Adams saying that Georgia would eclipse the 300-point mark before the end of June. I mean, he waited until the final hour, essentially, of the the month to get it done. But, Kip, got to give you your kudos before I get into anything on Mike Looney. Yeah, I had me sweating there for a second. You know, uh, you think someone's going to announce. He tells everyone he's going to announce that weekend, and then, you know, it doesn't happen. So uh, uh, still got it in there, but just not not maybe the prospect I initially thought. But, hey, you know, a win's a win. Hey, Kip never misses. So, yeah, I'm an on Uni, obviously – a big time offensive line pickup. I know that we've talked a bunch about 
the, the two guys that they already have in the class with Marcus Harrison and Malachi Tolliver? And then what is Georgia really going to try and build around that in this class? They've really sort of identified a prototype that they want from an offensive lineman in this class, which is just a really big guy. Um, you know, most of them are fit, fit the, you know, six, seven, six, eight, three thirty plus in terms of, you know, flexibility. They can maybe play tackle. They can maybe play a little bit inside. Mike Gooney's not the name that we've mentioned a bunch. Like we've met, we're going to talk about the other guys that are coming up later, you know, in this week with, you know, Daniel Calhoun, Nair Daniels, Mark, Marquise Easley. Like we've talked about these guys a bunch. Michael Looney is not a guy that we've talked about a bunch, but he's definitely a guy that is shot up onto the radar of Georgia and Alabama too, really throughout the last couple of months. Talked with his high school coach about, really the progression over the last 12 to 16 months of Mike Gooney. This was a guy that ran a wing T triple option offense and really did not know how to pass block in the last, you know, until the last 12 to 16 months coaches made significant comments over the last, you know, spring really late fall about the progress that he had made. They saw this guy that went from really six, eight, two eighty to six, eight, three thirty. He fits everything you want from that left tackle, right tackle that you're looking for. Um, a lot of athleticism from him. And I think that someone that's probably going to get even better over the next, you know, 12 to 16 months when he gets a little bit more comfortable in what he's doing. Six foot seven, 290 pounds, 24 seven sports has him as the 14th best offensive tackle in the 2024 cycle. Kip, what do you think of this pickup for Georgia and Stacy Searles adding another very promising offensive lineman to this class? Yeah. The, the demise of Stacy Searles was, I guess, greatly exaggerated. And I think, I've talked about this offensive line class kind of being, I wouldn't say not necessarily deep, but just, you know, there weren't a lot of guys that you saw that were no brainers. I mean, there were maybe two or two or three total in the class and, you know, offensive line is always, you're always looking down the line, projecting forward. And if you look at, at Michael Looney, like he fits that to a T just where he is now versus where he was a year ago playing in a wing T offense out there. And then, you know, they switched to, you know, uh, more of a spread, and now and now he's picking up and getting better at pass pro. And got you know, Stacy Searles takes a look at this guy, and he's like, "This isn't even the same player, you know, at all that I saw a year before." And I mentioned on the other podcast that you know Michael Looney was a guy that we hadn't really talked about in his recruitment, but that's more on us than Georgia. They had him in 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 Athens for their end of the summer event last year. He's been on the board for a long time for them. It's not a, uh, you know, a plan B guy or not a left field guy or a recent offer guy. He's a guy that just continued to develop. And when we start looking at this offensive line class, that's kind of what you're doing. You're getting lottery tickets. You're, you're basically saying these guys are not guys that we would project to go full Andrew Thomas and start immediately as true freshmen at right or left tackle. But they are guys in two or three years that once they get in the program, we've already seen the leaps that they've made you know, going from sophomore to junior, junior to senior, which I do expect Michael Looney to, to take another leap the senior season. Uh, but these are guys that they're saying in two to three years, I, we think that they're going to be completely different players. And honestly, you look at guys who may potentially be able to play left tackle in this class. I, I think Michael Looney is one of, one of the few guys, maybe two or three guys. And honestly, uh, the only other guy that maybe Georgia is uh, – recruiting that I would just say that yeah that guy looks like a potentially left tackle will be Marquez easily those are Michael Looney and, and easily are the two guys that look at and go 
yeah, I could, I could see those guys playing left tackle for Georgia in two or three years and not be surprised at all just because of the athletic build, uh, you know, overall the body type and just that, that projection, the upside. He's definitely an upside projection. And that's what Stacey Searles wanted in this class. He wanted, you know, four or five guys where he's like, you, you give me a couple of years with, with these guys, I, I could make them in a bona fide SEC starters. And now uh, we were talking about, we don't know how, you know, which guy George is going to pick. And now we're looking and it looks like Stacey Searles has said, I'm going to take all of them. I mean, Kibby, I thought you made a good point a couple episodes ago too, about how it's not, maybe it's people have talked about this offensive line cap class. Like it's a down year and it's not that it's a down year. I just don't think it's as top heavy. And when you think about the depth of the class, you start going down the list. There's a lot of guys there that might fit that mold that Georgia's really looking for. And I think Michael Looney is a great example of that, where it's like, if you really look at him, you throw on the tape, you see what he's done in terms of how he's progressed. Like this is a guy that has unbelievable upside and he's not a day one guy necessarily, but I think that's the common theme among all of these guys that George is really looking at along the offensive line is they aren't coming in with the expectation that they're necessarily going to be an immediate day one guy, but they see the developmental path there at Georgia as well. Also, you just, you, you look at where things are now with there's not a limit on initial counters and there's a transfer portal. So you want, you take all of these guys right now, See, see how they react to Georgia's strength and conditioning their offseason program, which every player talks about, you know, as far as that just changing everything about how you, you look at college football. And I mean, we just saw on uh, Tate Ravage's podcast the other day that Jordan Hall reacting in real time to learning that, yeah, Georgia's going to practice on the weekends under Kirby Smart. And yeah, you're going to be, ha- you're going to have basically 20 hour days, you know, out there as they prepare for the season. Every single minute that they are allowed under the NCAA uh, guidelines, Kirby Smart's going to use his advantage. And so that is a, you know, that a slap in the face to a lot of guys. Some guys don't take it very well. And so if you're Stacey Searles, he's probably going to push his guys, you know, to the limit as well. That's just the kind of coach he is. So yeah, take as many guys as you want, see which ones actually react well to your line of coaching. And with the transfer portal, you know, these guys uh, might leave after their first off season and you might be looking to sign five or six guys next year. So uh, I've covered Georgia when they would sign two and three offensive linemen back to back cycles. I've seen what that could do. And honestly, Stacey Searles has seen what that can do to an offensive line. And so load up every year and worry about it later is a mentality that makes sense when you're just trying to maximize the roster and every role you have. To Kip's point, there was a couple offensive linemen from last year who wound up going in the portal this offseason. So it's definitely a strategy that makes a lot of sense for Georgia. And we'll see how it sort of develops in the coming weeks. And Ben, as you hinted at a few minutes ago, really in the coming days, uh, tell us a little bit about what these next few days and really the next week or so looks like when it comes to Georgia, when it comes to a few guys they've been hard after uh, throughout the summer and even going back before that, uh, that are getting ready to make some announcements. Yeah, I mean, if you get bored by offensive line talk, then you're just these next couple of days are just not for you. Like that has been all the talk for the last few weeks. It's going to continue that way over the next couple of days. Really, the, I mean, the three offensive line dates that we're looking at are July 5th with Daniel Calhoun out of Walton, Walton and Marietta, Georgia. We've got Nair Daniels on July 7th 
from New Jersey. And then July 8th is Marquise Easley out of Kankakee, Illinois, just south of Chicago. So really those three offensive linemen are the ones that I think we're going to be looking at the closest. Obviously adding Mike Uni at the end of June, that's one of these big guys that they're really looking at to add. The question I think everybody's asking is, is there a real possibility that Georgia can add all four of them? I definitely think there is the possibility that they can add all four of them. I sort of want to see Georgia take six linemen before I 100% believe they're going to take six linemen, but it feels as though they're in the best position for all of these guys that are making these decisions over the next couple of days. Um, I, I put this in a post last week. It won't be the first, it wouldn't be the first time Georgia took six offensive linemen other under Kirby smart that happened in the class of 2020 as well. So it's not unprecedented. It's something that could happen. I think when we start to look at, why might this have happened and how the spots might feel available for the offensive line. I think Carter Nelson making his decision, you know, to go to Nebraska could have opened up a best player available spot as well. So if we just start thinking about roster management and how there is the possibility for six, six spots available along the offensive line, I think that's one consideration there that, you know, Stacy Searle's got priority in terms of best player available, just because of the, the types of guys that he's got in the, on his offensive line board right now. I feel like we hit on this every podcast, but it's just so fascinating how they have to juggle the numbers and, and sort of the give and take. As uh, I think Kip said, you know, uh, Stacy may be going into some of those other position groups and saying, look, man, I need another one. You're going to have to cut uh, one of the guys you're going after. Um, but that's why they're paid the big bucks. And, and all of us are just here trying to sort of figure out where things are going and uh, seeing how things break. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk a little bit more recruiting when we get back. And then also talk about our Kirby Smart Greatest Moments bracket that we got going on on Dogs 24-7. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. It's the NFL offseason, but I'll pick six. Part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Welcome back, everybody. Well, I wanted to throw a question at both Kip and Ben. And Kip, I'll start with you. Our buddy Steve Wiltfong has been doing a ton of coverage of teams across the country. And Ohio State has a whole lot of momentum going into this 4th of July week. Steve pointed out that there's a real possibility that Ohio State could wind up jumping Georgia for that number one spot. Uh, what do you think of where Georgia's class is right now and the possibility that you know we could go from where it looked like Georgia may have the opportunity to have the number one class ever put together to the fact that Ohio State is putting together a real push to earn that honor instead. I think it's something that gets forgotten every recruiting cycle, uh, but Georgia's not recruiting against air. There is, there's resistance involved here. 
there are other coaches out there and we talk about coaching salaries uh skyrocketing you know over the last five ten years and how they're you know having to work year round to earn that salary just the fact there's no downtime well huge part of that salary i would say probably the biggest part of that salary is recruiting if you if you want to you know move up in the coaching world and and get better jobs and you also want to get you know pay raises it, it we we see it annually especially at georgia kirby smart staff every year in the, in the off season you know the you put out the the raise articles on the different guys, different salaries. And then you see the comments uh, and it's usually well-earned, not enough. When is he getting his raise? These are all recruiting based aspects. And they're talking about the guys that they brought in. That's kind of that direct way of evaluating each position coach. You know, uh, did, did Todd Hartley land another five-star tight end? You know, uh, now Trey Scott is, is landing elite defensive linemen left and right. It, but, that's why these guys are getting paid the big bucks. And Georgia is not, doesn't have the highest paid coaching staff in the country. Uh, you know, there are other assistants out there that are making over a million dollars that are making seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars uh, to just be a position coach because they're elite recruiters as well. And we just watched Georgia and Ohio State go, you know, that's as evenly matched a game that you could possibly have. Uh, so I think the Buckeyes are, are right there where Georgia is overall as a program, even if they are not the back-to-back -back national champions. Uh, th there's a lot for Ryan Day to still sell with this program, and they're recruiting at an elite level. They're in on some of the same guys. He's recruiting battles, and we can look right at the, you know, right down the road. Or we just talked about uh, you know Dylan Rao uh, transferring in to Buford High School. And probably the most you know hotly contested recruitment right now is that of five-star safety KJ Bolden. And Buford likes their players to uh, to make decisions before the season. And KJ Bolden is a guy that's took his official visits, and we think that it's a Georgia Ohio State battle. And there's reason for both programs to be confident right now. Uh, so you look at the fact that if if he's only taking one unofficial visit this month and if it's to auburn uh if georgia and ohio state don't get them back on campus then they're trying to get you know gain momentum in a recruitment where they might not see him again that's something we're going to be tracking over the next couple of weeks but i don't think it means anything as far as georgia's class so much it just means there are other teams out there recruiting at a high level and when you start looking at the top two to three classes in the 24 7 sports team rankings those are the teams that annually are competing for national championships. And we know that Kirby Smart's not losing any sleep, whether his class is ranked first, second, third, fourth, or fifth. Uh, but right now, it, it is about those individual recruiting battles, and there's going to be ebbs and flows, ups and downs. That's why everyone loves recruiting. That's why we have so many subscribers to Dogs 24-7, and that's why it's entertaining, because you do not win every recruiting battle. Uh, but Georgia is going to win enough this cycle to have an elite class. Uh, I never personally, you know, kn knew whether this class would be the all time. It would break Texas A&M's record. You got to basically hit every single, you know, you got to hit every single home run possible to do that. And I, I think that in the end, Georgia is going to be in the mix for it. Georgia's going to have a great class and Georgia's actually got momentum with some five stars that we weren't even talking about with Georgia a month or two ago. That's just how quickly things change in recruiting.
Steve's uh, statement about Ohio State's chances come after Justin Scott's commitment to the Buckeyes, which was one that, Ben, it seemed like you took a lot of interest in. What did you think about that decision and then generally just that statement that the Buckeyes are really hot on the trail of Georgia for number one? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that a good sign of like, does a team have a, a chance of having a better, quote unquote, better recruiting class than Georgia this cycle is, can you win those head-to-head recruiting battles against them? I mean, obviously, you know, we can call it the Dylan Riola Bowl maybe of this recruiting cycle. Like Georgia obviously won that big one, but Ohio State's won their fair share as well. They've got a guy in Jeremiah Smith that's committed in their class. Justin Scott, I think, is a guy that everyone sort of felt good when he was coming out of their official visits. I mean, I think Miami, Michigan, Notre Dame, everyone did. It's funny. I I think that Ohio State was the one where there was the least conversation about. So I think that's just where the interest came from is it was a little bit of a surprise, not out of the blue decision, but just showed that Ohio State's not, you know, they make an impact on those defensive line recruits in, in a big way. And so I think really what this is going to come down to, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm an expert on what numbers Ohio State can take because I can't even say definitively how many, you know, how many guys Georgia can take in this class. But I think when you look at who Georgia has left, I mean, we've mentioned the three offensive linemen that they have coming up, Joseph Jonah, John Ye coming up on July 12th. Talk, Kip talked about KJ Bolden, guys like, you know, from the West Coast, Aiden Breland and Nate Frazier. It's like there's so many big time guys that Georgia is still significantly in the running for that they don't have to hit 100 percent on them for them still to see, you know, their overall class ranking blossom a little bit even more, too. So I think it's somewhat dependent. What numbers can Georgia get to? What numbers can Ohio State get to in this class? But Georgia has its fair share of wins left. Ohio State has its fair share of wins left, and Georgia's obviously really well positioned to have the best class. So do I know how it's going to shake out specifically? No. And then there's also just the factor of how do some of these guys play in their senior seasons? I mean, Kip talked about it last time. A guy like Nitro Tuggle, like how can he see his stock rise over the course of his senior season, and how does that impact the overall numbers in Georgia's class as well and just how that reflects in the recruiting rankings? A lot of that remains to be seen, so it's too early to say on some of that. But Ohio State – to no surprise, the team that probably gave Georgia the best game over the last two years is, you know, up there as one of the best recruiting programs in the country. So it's fair to point out also that they're going for the number one overall class, which was Texas A&M's, which uh, the season after that, they won five games. So it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. I uh, wanted to throw out Rhett Womack from YouTube who's watching. He said, absolute no way anybody but UGA gets the number one class. We're going to follow it. We're going to see what happens. There's no doubt about that. Uh, wanted to change uh, the topic a little bit and talk about what we got going on over at Dogs 24-7. I think a pretty cool project that all three of us chipped in on. Going through the uh, summer months, you know, especially in July, things slowed down just a little bit. So it seemed like a good time to reflect and, and look back at these last few years. We put together a bracket with the moments, the 16 moments that we felt like really stood out of the Kirby Smart era, uh, going back to the 2016 season and everything that's happened since then. Um, you can go to the website, Dogs 24-7. We'll have the first couple of matchups up this afternoon. Uh, ben, I'm going to start with you because we were really working on this the last few days. Um, what, what stands out to you? Is there one of these moments that you think uh, we seated too low, or, or what uh, is your biggest takeaway from how this sort of came together? Oh, well, my biggest takeaway, Jordan, is all the snubs that you didn't let me include in the list that I'll be making sure to bring to the board that, you know, we can let some other people unload on as well. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, actually, I'm not kidding. I am actually going to call out some snubs that I think are uh, were pretty good. But, um, I mean, I'm interested to see 
it's very easy, obviously, for what I think is probably considered 1-1 to see if it will win. But I'm curious to see if 1-1 actually wins or if the, the popular opinion defaults to something that uh, – I mean, I think I think everybody can agree. Keely Ringo's pick six is the one that everyone's going to gravitate to as one one. But I'm just interested to see if that's what a uh, you know the the mass public actually ends up deciding on. I liked uh, the fact that we all chipped in on these regional titles. We went with Junkyard Regional, Attack the Day Regional, Keep Chopping Regional, and my personal favorite, Them Dogs as Hell. I mean, we, we had to throw that out there. I will say one that once I've looked through it, and I've seen a few people comment on the board that I think could maybe sneak in there, maybe get a little noise, was the decision of Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, Davin Bellamy, and Lorenzo Carter to come back for that 2017 season. I believe we wind up having that as a fourth seed. I think uh, depending on how things break, uh, maybe it could get a little momentum behind that because you think after that 2016 season, very disappointing season, they all come back. And clearly, if those guys don't come back, Georgia is not playing for a national championship in 2017. Fair to say that really changed the tra the trajectory for Georgia and the very early portion of the Kirby Smart era. So that's sort of the one I'm, I'm looking at and circling and saying, let's see what happens there. I, I want to keep an eye on that one. Uh, Kip, what do you think of the bracket? Anything really stand out to you? Just how many moments we've already had. And just kind of looking over it, it a lot of it just kind of reminds me of, even though uh, he might be guilty of coach speak and every single uh, you know press availability he has, Kirby Smart's had quite the sound bites over the years. You know, maybe half of them are actually leaked audio, uh, but you know he's had some great ones and just the we aren't going anywhere. You know uh, that aspect of of uh, you know him reminding everyone that, that this isn't going to be just a, a one hit wonder with this program. This was always part of the plan. And just the, the, you know, maybe his first introductory uh, press conference as well. I mean, like this was the moment that kind of Georgia fans had been waiting for, you know, uh, talking about Kirby Smart. They thought that they kind of had him, you know, before and it didn't work out. Will it ever happen? We got him. You know, that was the we got him moment. And he, he just he lays out all of his plans for the program. And I just remember the reaction from Georgia fans. It was like, this is it. You know, this is the beginning of an era. You know, nothing will ever go wrong. You know, now they uh, fast forward to, uh, you know, Isaiah McKenzie getting that fourth and one handoff against, uh, you know, Vanderbilt. Uh, people were kind of scratch their heads going, wait, what? What's going on here? The, there were some ups and downs involved in there as well. But I'm just looking back to the earlier part of when he first got to Georgia, um, just that euphoria that it kind of just waved over the all the entire fan base. And then just the buildup. I mean, that, the, these moments are all just that, you know, that 40, 41 years of, uh, you know, not getting to the mountaintop. And, and these moments along the journey where, you know, they didn't know if they were going to get there. So I agree. I think we know how this is going to end. But just I'm interested in seeing just the opinions because each one of these moments has to hit home and, and like just bring apart such strong memories uh, from the fan base you know, not all positive, but just some powerful memories and just a reminder of like just uh, what an incredible journey it's been uh, of, of fan bases of, of different ages watching Georgia program for maybe new fans that maybe came on board with Kirby Smart, but also just people that have been watching Georgia for 30, 40, 50 years. So, you know, the, the last, 
decade has been a whirlwind, and I think it's very befitting for right now before we go into this season as Georgia looks to, you know, maybe make some history again to just to look back and look at some of these moments and not forget how we got here. It's a very fun project to put together, and I think uh, something that I thought about today as a writer, just being able to see some of those moments because, you know, we posted this and I saw some of the people in the 24-7 network uh, were like, hey, you know, some of the other sites should do this. And I'm sitting there thinking a lot of these sites won't be able to. I mean, that's just because of what Georgia has experienced and, and how much they've accomplished these last few years. It's sort of a tall task for other teams to find themselves in a situation to not only go through this, but, you know, Ben, we were talking about this. We might have been able to pull off a 32-team, you know, a bracket because there was a lot to choose from. There was a lot that we cut that gave you, you know, sweet, sweet content for that snub story when that one comes out. <laughs> well, that's – I mean, Kip said it too. Like, there were so – I mean, it's crazy to think how many moments there have been in such a short period of time to the point that we were struggling to narrow it down to what we wanted to. I mean, we were reaching out to some other folks and just fans getting their insight on things as well. And like the list was much longer than you would think, just if you were taking face value, what are the big moments? And it just goes to show you, I mean, I think the, the phrase moments is really poignant for this because it just shows you how many moments there really have been over the course of the eight years that changed the trajectory of where things were. And I think that that's what will be cool just to see what moments really made the biggest impact on folks. really like this comment on Facebook from Corey Paul. Waited 20 years for these moments. There's a lot of people that obviously have relished a lot of what has happened. And really fascinating just to see what this uh, bracket looks like, how it goes forward these next few days. Again, if you're listening to this live, the first two matchups will go up uh, on Monday afternoon, and we will have several more as the week goes on. So really excited for that. Before we wrap up this episode, uh, we are a few weeks away from SEC Media Days. We, I believe all three of us will be up in Nashville, get a chance to check out uh, Georgia, as well as a few of the other teams along the way as we get ready for the 2023 season. I'm expecting next week that we are going to hear who Georgia is going to send as their player representatives. Obviously, Kirby Smart will be up there. I wanted to get a poll from everyone on this podcast of who they expect the choices to be. I'll go ahead and start with mine. I'm going to say Brock Bowers is going to be the one uh, offensive player that winds up going to Nashville. Uh, I think that given his success, given the fact he won the Mackey Award last year, and, you know, he may get a little Dark Horse Heisman Trophy buzz going into the 2023 season. I think Brock's going to get a chance to go. Uh, I'm going to go kind of off the radar a little bit with one of my two defenders that I think is going to go. I'm going to say that Zion Logue goes. I think him being from Tennessee, this is going to be in Nashville. And being a veteran and someone that Kirby Smart has been very comfortable putting out in front of media, he's always honestly a really good interview and gives a lot of good insight. I think it's going to be Zion. And then my third and final player is going to be Javon Bullard. I think the fact that he played so well in the playoff. And again, another guy that's a really good interview. I thought he gave great insight even the day after the national championship game. My prediction is going to be Brock Bowers, Zion Logue, and Javon Bullard. Uh, Kip, I'll start with you. Uh, who do you think is going to be representing the Bulldogs among the players uh, when we are up there for media days? I think Brock Bowers is as close to a lock as you can get. That combination of being Georgia's most prominent uh, player and also someone who's going to give the most boring answers possible <laughs> is just perfect for Kirby Smart. 
Um, along those same lines, though, I I still I know he represented him last year, but Cedric Van Pran is still a you know if somebody wakes up sick or is unable to go, I just feel like Cedric Van Pran is going to be that guy that's just ready and locked in if Kirby Smart needs to send him. At the same time, if if I'm thinking about defense, uh, it's it's incredible. You mentioned Javon Bowler, and I was thinking, well, what about you know Kamari Lasseter? You know, just another guy that we think is going to be prominently on all the preseason lists. A guy that's represented Georgia very well, and a, a guy that, again, I, I think gives good quotes, but is not someone who's going to rock the boat too much. So the, those are kind of the those Georgia requirements to to get sent there. So you know, I, I think Kamari Laster's a guy to to watch as far as you know getting the invite. But I I do love what Zion Logue is kind of. He's been kind of that off-season representative of uh, not just waiting your time, but just also just he embodies everything that Georgia football is about. So I, I, I think that that's a perfect uh, send-off, not just for Trey Scott, but just for, for everyone in the Georgia program. And this is a guy that, you know, did not come in with a lot of fanfare, uh, but bought in and now gets a chance to, to make a big impact, uh, you know, once again for Georgia this year. Ben, who are you feeling? What are you expecting to see in Nashville? I feel like Kirby should let Jordan Hall come just for content purposes. It seems like he's going to be a content machine uh, as long, until they, you know, quiet quiet that down a little bit. But, um, I mean, I think you guys have nailed all the ones that I would say. I think Brock Bowers, to Kip's point, is the perfect combo of everybody's going to be talking about him and he's going to be willing to say absolutely nothing that'll be perfect for what Kirby Smart wants to bring. I think Cedric Van Pran, I mean, he's been an offensive leader for three years now, and he's so good with the media. I think that the fact that he's done it once already is maybe the one reason why he would be less likely to do it, just to give other guys opportunities. And then you all mentioned Zion Logue. I was I was battling back and forth between Logue, Lassiter, and Bullard. I just feel like Logue... Um, he is that sort of senior defensive front leader. He's taken on that kind of captaincy role almost on that defensive side, it feels like. And I know we've mentioned it once already, but the Real Talk Georgia podcast, he's sort of taken over doing that stuff with Tate now. And I always want to give them a nod because I think they do a really good job. You get an inside look at the program in a way that you really don't anywhere else. So I think that he's taken on sort of that media voice in a way that I think that'll, uh, I think he's a guy that'll end up in Nashville as well. I didn't even think about the Tennessee factor that you brought up either, Jordan, but that makes a lot of sense too. Always got to be thinking about that stuff. Yeah. Ben. Uh, I, I'm hoping that if Zion goes that he pulls a Warren Brinson and, and maybe he asks Kirby a question during the, uh, during the big show in the big room. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, before we get out of here, we're getting ready. It's about to be the 4th of July. I was going to check in with you guys. And I'll start with you, Ben, any big plans for independence day? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I was up at the lake uh, earlier over the over the weekend, so I kind of got my July 4th festivities out of the way, watched some Braves, watched Ricky Fowler win a golf tournament. So, you know, it's it's been a good weekend for America so far, I would say. Definitely. No doubt about that. Kip, uh, how about you? Uh, where is uh, what is 4th of July looking like for you? Uh, homers, lots of home runs, man. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone listening to this pod as a Braves fan but if you guys you know watch June the this team set all kinds of records and the you know so many home runs it's you know every other inning uh, was a home run and then you know started July off just not missing a beat 
crushing the Marlins, crushing their, you know, their hopes of, of coming in and, and showing up Atlanta. I, I plan on watching that continue, uh, you know, against the Cleveland. I guess there's, there's still the Guardians as of now, the Cleveland Guardians going in there and humbling another franchise and continuing to, uh, you know, play just outstanding baseball. I don't, this team, I don't remember a team just being this this much fun to watch. Congratulations to all eight all eight all stars, and uh, yeah, I'll be making sure to stay hydrated uh, and uh, enjoy the Braves' run as as we continue to another World Series run. Dingers for America! I love that Kip. Absolutely, uh, I think I'm gonna lay low, watch the Braves, and maybe grill some hot dogs. You know, it's a, it's a little bit uh, a little bit hot outside in Athens right now. It's it's a, it, we're to the point in the summer where it's just absolutely miserable. So try to lay low, just stay outside long enough to grill, and then uh, see what the Braves are up to. Gonna give Joey Chestnut a push tomorrow, Jordan? Probably not. Um, I'm gonna do my best, but uh, don't hold your breath on that one. I can promise you that. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. I appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on. I appreciate everyone who checked this out live and everyone who has listened to this after the fact. I want to say happy 4th of July to everyone. Hope everybody stays safe and uh, has a good time uh, with family and friends. So until next time, take care, everybody. VIP Pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.